to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that uh, in the scriptures you teach us about our Lord Jesus and our response of faith and trust in him. And we pray tonight as uh, we read from Luke that you would help us to understand your scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine for a moment that you know exactly which day you are going to die. And that as the days roll by, you are counting down the days to your certain death. Now you can imagine the most likely scenario for that would be you've either got a terminal illness or you're going to be executed or you're going to commit suicide, something like that. Imagine what it was like for the Bali Nine guys, for Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran, as once they knew finally the date of their death, that they counted down the days and the hours and the minutes until they died. Well, in this part of Luke, where we are right now, that's exactly the situation that Jesus is in. Jesus, from Luke chapter 9 all the way through to Luke uh, chapter 18, has been walking resolutely towards Jerusalem, knowing exactly what is going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. He is going to die. And he's taken the opportunity as he goes to teach the disciples. And as we get to Luke 18 and Luke 19, he's right on the verge of entering into Jerusalem. And we've got to ask ourselves, what are the, what are the things that are on Jesus' mind 
What are his priorities for telling the disciples? What does he want the disciples to know as he goes to the cross, to a certain death? And we're going to see two big things in this passage that Jesus wants his disciples to know. The first is his identity and Jesus' part in God's great plan for the establishment of his eternal kingdom. That's the first thing. Who is Jesus? What's his part in God's plan? And the second thing that Jesus wants his disciples to know is the necessity of faith for anyone who wishes to enter into God's kingdom. So what are we going to learn? Who is Jesus and why the need for faith? So as I say, Jesus has been on a long journey by foot towards Jerusalem. And it's a bit, uh, it's good to just to orient ourselves in the whole book of Luke because this is a series on Luke. The first uh, three or so chapters of Luke, it's all Jesus' birth narratives and uh, the announcements of what Jesus is going to do. And then from chapter four to chapter nine, it's a record of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry uh, in Galilee. But from chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. And for a whole 10 chapters, we have teaching of Jesus. It's a core body of the main teaching that Jesus wants to give both his disciples and the crowds that are following. But also we hear records of Jesus arguing with his opponents as he walks resolutely to Jerusalem knowing that he is going to his death. So let's look at this passage. If you've got a Bible, open it at Luke 18, verse 31, till the end of the chapter. And the first thing we want to look at in these first verses is Jesus' identity and his part in God's plan. Now, I don't know if you've noticed uh, if you've been under the leadership of uh, somebody, but it always feels better if you're a follower if you know the leaders have got a plan. And uh, when the leaders don't seem to have a plan, the natives start getting restless. You might have noticed that, say, in federal politics in the, the last couple of years where people are complaining that my namesake, Malcolm doesn't seem to have a plan. That's what people accuse him of. But when the leaders have a plan, it gives people confidence to follow, doesn't it? And so Jesus wants his disciples to know the plan and his place in it. And as they near Jerusalem, Jesus takes the opportunity to take the twelve aside and to tell them exactly what's going to happen. Listen to what he says in verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. 
On the third day, he will rise again. Now, before the journey to Jerusalem started, back in chapter 9, Jesus had already twice explicitly explained to his disciples what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem, that he was going to die. But here, right at the end of the journey, they finally got there and they're just about to walk into Jerusalem. Jesus takes the opportunity to expand that even more and to let them know again that what happens in Jerusalem is not going to be an accident. Listen to what he says again in verse 31. We are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So there's two things we've got to check out in this verse. One is that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And the second is Luke's insistence, Jesus' insistence on telling us that everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So who's this Son of Man person that Jesus is referring to? Right from the beginning of the Gospels, every time Jesus has an opportunity to talk about himself, he refers to himself by this name, the Son of Man. And it appears that Jesus is actually making reference to a prophecy that Daniel sees, a vision that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 7. Now, some of you uh, Daniel files will uh, be very aware of this uh, vision that Daniel had. And for other people, this will be new. But basically, the vision goes like this. Daniel sees two figures. One's called the Ancient of Days. And it's pretty obvious in the vision that the Ancient of Days is God, the Father. But then there's this other figure who is referred to as one like the Son of Man... And one like the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man authority, all authority, to rule forever. Just let me read for you from Daniel chapter 7, just a couple of verses from verse 13. In my vision at night I looked... And there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Just in the previous chapter to this, in Luke chapter 17, you can look at that for homework if you like, Jesus is explaining about a future coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 17 that in the future... This Son of Man will come and establish God's eternal kingdom. But here in the next chapter, as he's going into Jerusalem, 
he realizes that he needs to give the disciples the other bit of information. Because, yes, the Son of Man will come in the future to establish God's kingdom, but there's a big job he needs to do first, one that is totally unexpected by the Jewish people. And that is, the same Son of Man must be insulted, mocked, spat on, flogged, and killed. Just as the prophets foretold. Now it seems that uh, as Jesus talks about the prophets forecasting what will happen to the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to passages like Isaiah chapter 53 that we heard before. And Psalm 22, you can read that for homework as well. But just let me read you a couple of verses again from Isaiah 53. Verse 6 and the end of verse 12. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So in this one verse, Jesus is giving actually two different pictures about himself. The one, he's saying, I'm this son of man that's talked about in Daniel. I'm the eternal ruler that God is giving all authority and all dominion forever. That's me. But also, I'm the one talked about in Isaiah 53. The one that will be mocked, insulted, spout on, flogged and killed. I'm that one as well. Not only will I rule forever, but before I get to rule forever... I'm going to have to die for the people's sins. Now, can you see a little uh, difficulty here for the average Jew? They've been thinking about this prophecy in Daniel for years, that God's going to send this eternal ruler. And they've also had this prophecy from Isaiah about the one that's going to come and die for the people's sins, But they've never put the two together thinking they're one person. Of course it can't be one person. If the guy's going to die for the people's sins, how can he rule forever? He's dead. You see why the average Jew thought that was pretty hard to understand? And the critical bit of information as Jesus tells his disciples this is in verse 33 where he says... On the third day, he will rise again. So seeing as how the, whole, the Jews could never work out how these, could be, these two pictures, these two prophecies could apply to the same person, you can see why in verse 34, the disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what Jesus was talking about. 
Jesus has laid out his whole plan very carefully to them. But they're not ready yet to understand. But after the resurrection, remember on the road to Emmaus, when the disciples' eyes are opened, when Jesus appears to them and explains the scriptures again, how all the prophets explain clearly God's plan that the chosen one would die for the people's sins and then rise and rule God's eternal kingdom forever. So that's the the first bit of uh, the reading. And now we get to the second thing that's happening even closer as Jesus gets to Jerusalem. They're just approaching Jericho in verse 35. And as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the blind man calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And later Jesus says to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Now it's important that we notice two things in this uh, explanation of the miracle of healing the blind man. The first is what the blind man says, and the second is what Jesus says. So we've just got used to the fact that Jesus has been uh, explaining that he is the son of man, the eternal ruler in Daniel, and he is also the suffering servant pictured in Isaiah 53. And now the blind man comes out with another title for Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he repeats that. Now, uh, if uh, you know your Bibles a bit, you know that this uh, reference to Son of David is a messianic name. It's, it's just another name for calling Jesus Messiah or Christ or the Anointed One, God's Anointed One. Back in uh, when David became king in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan says, brings a prophecy, a word from the Lord to David, and he says, Your descendants will rule my people forever. A uh, quick reference to that is in Psalm chapter 89, if you want to look up uh, Psalms. Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 and 4. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Now, it's interesting here, isn't it, that when Jesus explained to the twelve what was about to happen to him, They couldn't understand what he was talking about. 
They were actually blind, figuratively, to what Jesus was trying to tell them. But then immediately after that, Jesus meets a blind man who understands perfectly who he is. And the irony of this is not meant to escape us. The disciples are blind to his identity, but the blind man sees. And the blind man not only sees who Jesus is, he recognises him as the Messiah, but he recognises that Jesus has the authority to help him. He is the one that the blind man is ready to throw himself at the feet of and ask for mercy, knowing that Jesus can help him. And what does Jesus respond when the blind man asks for help? Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Now, can I say, it's no accident at this point in uh, Luke's narrative and what's happening in Jesus' life that Jesus says this to the blind man, your faith has healed you. Because in all the teaching that has gone on in the last 10 chapters, the previous 10 chapters, as Jesus has walked resolutely towards his death, Jesus has talked often about the need for faith. He's talked about wholehearted devotion, carrying, taking up their cross and following him. He's talked about counting the cost of following him and deciding nevertheless to follow him with their whole heart. Having childlike faith. Jesus has spelled out the sort of faith he wants his followers to have in him, the sort of childlike trust he demands. And to this one, the blind man, an outcast of society with no earthly hope at all, Jesus literally says, your faith has saved you. No one, not even this discard on the edge of society, is out of God's range for salvation. So I asked at the beginning, as we realised that Jesus is going to his death, what are the things in Jesus' mind that he really wants his disciples and us to know as he goes to his death? And we see that what he really wants is for us to understand very clearly who he is. Son of man, eternal king, God's anointed Messiah, the suffering servant, that God has a plan. And Jesus is saying, trust me when I tell you who I am. The only response I need from you is faith. Now, as we think about how this might apply to us on a uh, warm Sunday night in Newtown, I want us to think about this whole area that Jesus is demanding faith 
from people. A response of faith. And the first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus is not just asking for a response of faith in general. Like, gee, it's great when, when people have faith in something. That's sort of more like a Newtown type uh, thought. You know, Buddhism, materialism, whateverism, just as long as you have faith, that's cool. Now, Jesus is actually doing something very countercultural for Newtown and for most cultures in this world. He is asking for specific, particular faith. First of all, he wants a response of faith that he is who he says he is, the eternal king and the one that will die for our sins. Jesus actually wants us to follow the example of the blind man and knowing who Jesus is, trusting Jesus at his word, falls at Jesus' feet and asks for mercy. But the other particular faith that Jesus wants is that we will have faith, trust, in God's plan as revealed in the prophets. That as we read the scriptures, we actually trust Jesus when he says, all that the prophets said concerning God's plan for salvation of the world is actually fulfilled in me. That's what he wants us to trust him in. And I can't miss this opportunity because if you're sitting here tonight and you have never taken the step of taking, making that trust in Jesus, that you acknowledge he is who he says he is and you acknowledge his part in God's plan that he is the eternal king and that he is the one who died for our sins, don't leave church tonight without making a decision to respond to Jesus in faith. And if you've never done that before, come and talk to someone about it before you leave church. But lastly, I just want us to think about why the response of faith that Jesus demands is so difficult for so many people. Because we just have to look around uh, our neighbours here in Newtown or wherever you work or wherever you live to know that while Jesus is offering this life-giving gift of faith, so many people just aren't interested, are they? And we're sitting here going, this is such a wonderful thing we've got. Why don't other people want it? And I'm sure you've talked to people and there's lots of reasons why people won't respond in faith as Jesus demands. For some, they think they're too good. They don't think they need Jesus because they're quite good enough on their own. Or some people, strangely enough, think they're too bad. That they're so sinful and broken that God couldn't possibly love them or want them. 
They'll have to actually recover first before they approach Jesus. But for many, they just don't care at all, do they? They either don't believe that there is a God, or if there is a God, they're doing fine without him. It pains us to see people that could have what we have and yet couldn't care less and they just carry on without him. But Jesus makes it perfectly clear as he approaches Jerusalem that the one who will receive Jesus like the blind man or like the one out of ten lepers in Luke 17 who comes to Jesus and recognises him for who he is, or the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, any of these who, recognising who Jesus is, humbly falls before their eternal king and suffering servant and in faith asks for mercy. We cannot allow the disbelief of others, the blindness of others, to diminish our trust and to respond to Jesus the way he demands of us. We're about to uh, finish, I think, our series on Luke. It's all planned by our great leaders here that as we get to Easter, we get to the end of Luke. And uh, as we celebrate Easter and we think more on Jesus' death, remember the trust that Jesus is demanding of us. That he is who he says he is and that he has the place in God's plan. We must trust it. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.